Hey friends, this is Pastor Joseph Hurd, and I am so thankful that you are joining me for another session of Walking Through the Word. We have been in the study in the book of Hebrews, and today we're entering into chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. You know, I think it's always beneficial as we do that to take a fresh look at why the book of Hebrews is important and what it's all about. You know, basically, whenever you look at the book of Hebrews, what you are seeing here is the author is writing to a group of first century Christian Jews who had just freshly come out of Judaism. And now they have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Because of that, much persecution has arisen toward them. They're undergoing such strains as many of them are losing their livelihoods. They're losing their jobs. They're undergoing mockery and scorn and uh, all kinds of ridicule. Literally, to be a follower of Jesus in first century Judaism and in the area of Jerusalem and Israel meant to be an outcast in modern day society. The reason was the temple still stood in Jerusalem all the way up to 70 AD. So for the first 40 years of Christianity, the temple worship was still taking place on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Not only that, but it was so ingrained into the society of the Israelis to follow after the Old Testament law that to follow anything else was considered to be uh, considered to be the height of idolatry. And so you can see the dilemma that these first century Jews found themselves in. They found themselves in the situation that if they continued to confess that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior, it could cost them literally everything. And for many of them, that is exactly what was going on. But the writer of Hebrews comes along and tells them, he says, listen, there is no room for a mushy middle for the followers of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a secret servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a secret follower of Jesus. And there is no turning around. There is no turning back. If you go back, what are you going back to? Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament law. If you go back, what are you going back to? Because there is no power in the lifestyle of Judaism to live a holy and a sanctified life before the Lord our God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you've got to fly the flag high for Christ. There's no room for anything else. If you will be a follower of Jesus, you must make your declaration, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. He points to that fact in Hebrews chapter 2 whenever he tells us that Jesus stands in the middle of his church and he says to the Father, Father, I am not ashamed to call them my brethren. He's saying, I'm not ashamed to be identified with these people. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. They have forsaken everything. They have followed after me. 
They have put their trust and their confidence in me as their Savior, and I am not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And the writer is saying, in light of that fact, in light of the fact that Jesus is not ashamed to call you His own, He says, don't be ashamed to be called by His name. Don't be ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that message is apropos for our day. Christianity has come through a time in the past four or five years where it seemed like it was somewhat popular to be a Christian. But now in our day, it seems as though the tide has turned and to be a Christian one more time has to be, means to be uh, the center of ridicule again. But for those who know their Lord and those who are not ashamed of Him, ridicule or not, our love is for Him. Our life is for Him. We've decided to follow Him. And there is no turning back. So, whenever we come to Hebrews chapter 3, again the writer is trying to remind these precious Hebrew believers in Jesus Christ, in Yeshua, he's trying to remind them of who they are in Christ and what Christ has done for them. And that Christ is better than anything else that they would put up next to him. And that is really going to play out in a meaningful way in chapter number 3. So let's jump in. In Hebrews 3, verse 1, the writer says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, I see two very important things here in verse 1 that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, he talks to us as followers of Christ, and he says, I want to remind you that you are holy brethren. Holy brethren before the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've ever, been, you've ever called yourself that, but I want you to know today that if you are a follower of Jesus, that is exactly who you are. You are holy brothers and holy sisters. You are holy and you are a brother or a sister in this great company before God our Father. We stand with our elder brother as holy brothers and holy sisters of the Lord. Now that's so important, especially to Hebrew believers, because their holiness under the old covenant came in a different manner by strict obedience to the Mosaic law and walking in the law of God. But the Hebrew writer comes along and reminds them that they are holy brothers, and the reason that they are is because they have put their faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. You see, it's impossible for us to be holy apart from Jesus. It is, in part, it is impossible for us to obtain holiness apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the thing that determines whether or not you are in the flesh or in the Spirit is whether or not you are in Christ or you are not in Christ. The Bible said in the book of Romans chapter 8, Now if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you are in the Spirit if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. What he's alluding to is the fact that when you come to Jesus Christ, 
You are born again. Born by the Spirit. Born from above. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then he calls that he tells us that because of that relationship, and is reminding us that because of our relationship with Jesus, we have been made holy, holy by the blood. Now, the term holy means different. It means to be separated. Sanctified is the synonymous term, hagios in the Greek. A good, uh, a, a good uh, definition for it is other. We are not like the world any longer. We are like our God, and we have come out of the world and been made separate by our relationship with Christ Jesus the Lord. He goes on and he gives another phrase in verse 1, and that phrase is partakers of the heavenly calling. Now that's important as well, because when you study Judaism, if you go back into the Old Testament, what you will find out is that the covenant that Israel has with God is an earthly covenant. God has promised them an earthly covenant with earthly blessings that come upon them. For the New Testament church, the covenant is different. And it is different in the fact that our blessing is beyond earthly blessings. Even though it includes earthly blessings, it goes far above, be, above and beyond that in that we have received heavenly blessings. As a matter of fact, Paul is emphatic in Ephesians chapter 1 to tell us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus the Lord. When you study the Word of God, what you will ultimately find out is that God's promise to Israel is that they inherit the land. But Christ's promise to His church is that we inherit the universe. Jesus, the Bible said in Hebrews 1, is the inheritor of all things. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us he's the heir of all things, and all means all. And you and I, as partakers of the heavenly calling, have become joint heirs with Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul says. If so be that we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. And then he tags it by saying this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What a powerful powerful statement that is from the Word of God. Now, why would the writer of Hebrews say these words to his Jewish brothers, his Jewish sisters? It's so important because he wants them to understand that the promises they have in Christ Jesus are far away and above better than the promises that are given under the old covenant. And there is no reason to leave Christ Jesus the Lord. They have every reason to continue to follow Christ, even if it costs them everything. Truly, they have given up nothing. For we lay up our treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can corrupt, 
and where thieves cannot break through and steal. Notice what he goes on and says in Hebrews verse 1. He tells them, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now notice this term here, high priest. We've talked about that some in chapter 2, and, and we've talked about the importance of Jesus taking on flesh and blood and experiencing everything that you and I have experienced and being tested and tempted in every way that humanity can be tempted so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest. Hebrews chapter 2 spells that out so eloquently and beautifully. It is the job of the high priest to represent the people of God to God. He takes the needs of the people and the issues of the people, and he represents them to the Lord. The author is going to have a lot more to say about that in the coming chapter, so I'll wait till then to talk more about the high priest. But I want you to notice the other title that has been ascribed to Christ here in verse 1 of chapter 3. He calls him not only the high priest, but he calls him the apostle of our profession. Now, when we think of apostles, we think about, you know, Peter, Paul, James, John, the twelve that walked with Jesus. But here the writer of Hebrews ascribes this title to Jesus himself. What does that mean? Well, the term apostle means in the in the Greek it is apostolos transliterated directly into the English as apostle, and it simply means one sent forth with authority. Literally, it carries the idea of ambassadorship, someone that is sent forth with the authority to represent someone else. Truly, that is what Jesus came to do, and that is what the writer is trying to get across to his audience. He is trying to remind them by giving them these titles of Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest of our profession. He's reminding them that Jesus was sent with the authority of the Father, full authority to act in his behalf and to fully represent him. That's why Jesus said, I do nothing except I, what I see my Father do. I say nothing except what I hear my father say. He said, for I and my father are one. And Jesus came with the full authority to represent the father in the earth. He is the apostle, one sent forth with authority, and one who has come to be the ambassador to share who God the father really is. And I would just like to interject right here in this teaching. If you want to know who God the Father truly is, you've got to look at Him in the Old Testament, the Almighty, Yahweh, Almighty God. But you, almost, you also must look at Him in the light of the revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do, you see the terrible and great God. You see the God of judgment and the God of love. You see the God who thunders from Sinai and the God who embraces on Zion. I tell you, when you see Jesus, you see the full picture 
of who the Father is. He was the perfect ambassador of our Heavenly Father. And so the writer of Hebrews is displaying those things, laying these things out eloquently with these words to remind the Hebrew Christians of who Christ is and who they are and what they have in Christ. Let's go to verse 2. Notice what he says. He says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, who was faithful to him, the Father, that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, whenever you look at that passage of Scripture, now he is beginning to interject the main figure in all of the Jewish religion, in all of Judaism. There is none more highly regarded than the prophet Moses. Moses, that man that was the lawgiver, the deliverer of God's people out of Egypt, among the Jewish nation, still to this day, there is none greater in the sight of the Orthodox Jew. There is none greater in the sight of Judaism than Moses himself. And so now the Hebrew writer takes on that topic head on. He says, consider Jesus, who was faithful to him, the father who appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now when you read that, if you're not careful, you will think that the writer is saying that Moses was faithful in his own house, like being faithful in the Old Testament, and Christ Jesus is faithful in his own house, being faithful in the New Testament. But really the writer is talking about one house, and they are the same. It is the house of the Father. And he is saying that Jesus is faithful in his Father's house and in his house because he's the owner of it as well. As also Moses was faithful in all the Father's house. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 bears that out whenever God testifies himself of Moses and tells us that Moses has been faithful in all of my house. Then he goes on in verse 3, Hebrews chapter 3, and says, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honor than the house. This was so important to these first century Jewish Christians to see Moses in his proper place and to see Jesus in his exalted and proper place. Uh, And I want you to know that Jesus has been faithful, and Jesus indeed will be faithful because He is the faithful Son of God. But it was so important for the writer to get this idea across to the Jewish believers and to let them know that this man Jesus is counted worthy of more glory and worthy of more honor than Moses is inasmuch as he who built the house is more worthy than the house. Now we know that that is true. And again, we know that there's nobody that is more revered than Moses in Judaism. And truly, he is revered. He was God's man. And God proved that over and over again. You remember whenever Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses and 
God called for a staff meeting immediately of the door of the tabernacle. And God told them, I'm going to show you who my man is. And he struck Miriam with leprosy immediately. Aaron pleaded with Moses, and Moses pleaded with God for mercy. And God told Moses, he said, he said, if anybody else would have done this, I'd have struck them dead. He said, but now she's going to bear her punishment for seven days, and after seven days, I'll heal her. God was saying, Moses is my man. The glory that Moses shared with the Lord, the honor that was bestowed upon Moses, was seen time and time again. I think about the story of the sons of Korah. Whenever the sons of Korah came against the man of God, and God called for a meeting again. Moses drew a line in the sand and said, who's on the Lord's side? And whenever the people of God walked across that line, all of them that would be with Moses stood by Moses. God said, okay, now I'm going to show you who I have chosen, my lawgiver, the one that I have chosen to lead my people. And God swallowed up the ground, God opened up the ground and swallowed up the rebellion, closed it up upon them. And basically said, there it is. Moses is my man. And so for the Jews to look at Jesus, the Messiah, and to consider him greater than Moses is a very difficult thing to do and was extremely difficult until they came to the revelation that indeed this man Jesus is the son of the living God. So to the Jews, believing when Messiah comes that he's going to bring the world under the law, that's how they felt. But now they're walking not under the law, but in a new and a living way. And the challenge is laid out before them. Verse 4, for every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. He is pointing here to Jesus because when you study the Old Testament properly, you'll find out that even the creation of the earth was spoken into existence by none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, John 1 and 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1 and 15, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That is Paul speaking of none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here the writer of Hebrews, who very well could be the Apostle Paul, says in verse 4, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God, pointing to Jesus. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house. Notice these words, as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But notice verse 6. But Christ, 
as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Now Moses was a faithful servant. And the writer here is saying, Moses truly was faithful in all that God called him to do. His only mess up was whenever he disobeyed the Lord and smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But God testifies of him. And God venerates him. And God lets us know that Moses is his man because Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Now when the writer says that, the Jewish people know where he's going. Because if there is anyone on the planet that knew the difference between sonship and servitude, it was the Jewish people. And the writer is saying that Moses followed faithfully after the Lord as a servant. But the blessing of the New Testament believer, the blessing that comes upon that one who puts their faith and their confidence in Christ Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they come into sonship, and they are not just a servant. And the writer is pointing to the fact here that Jesus was more than a servant. He was a son. And because he is the son, he inherits everything. Because that's what the son does. The son inherits it all. And you and I, having the privilege of coming, coming into this covenant, this covenant relationship with Christ Jesus the Lord, by grace, through faith, where which we have been saved, brings, us, brings up on us sonship. We are the children of the Most High God. And then he wraps it up by saying these words in verse 6. Whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. You see, if you come to Jesus Christ and you give your life to Him, this is how it works. It is a lifelong commitment to Jesus. I'm not just signing up for fire insurance here. I'm not just trying to get a get out of hell free card here. My motivation for knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, living for Jesus, and loving Jesus is not so that in the end I won't get burned. That is, a, that is the tremendous benefit. But the reason I follow Him is because I found Him whom my soul loves. <laughs> the reason I follow Him is because of His great love for me. John said we love Him because He first 
loved us. And I'm telling you, for many people, as a matter of fact, most people that I know, who have only served God so that they could escape the flames of hell, have never lasted very long. Because that motivation in times when the enemy attacks loses its fear as the enemy pulls the wool and darkens the eyes and numbs the senses. It's vitally important that it moves past that place to the place of relationship with Jesus Christ so that when you stand before Him, He does not say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. But He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Paul says, the writer says, Hold fast the confidence. And that's the message. If Hebrews could be summed up in a simple phrase, it can be summed up in that little phrase. Hold fast the confidence. Do do not let go of your confidence in Jesus Christ. This way of following the Lord is a way of confidence. Confidence in Christ as your Savior. Confidence that He is who He says He is. Confidence that He'll do what He says He'll do. Confidence that He makes you what He says you have become. Confidence and stand first fast in the rejoicing of that hope. Firm all the way to the end. It is a lifelong commitment. Later on in this book, the writer is going to say to us, Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. What promise? The promise of life that is eternal. The promise of life fully realized in every dimensionality of the kingdom. Life in Christ Jesus the Lord. That is beyond that life that we experience in the flesh now. Life that is everlasting. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Next week as we move into the rest of this chapter, the warnings from the writer of Hebrews become stern and strong. But all of those warnings are wrapped around this one idea. If you walk away from Christ, there is no other hope. If you walk away from Jesus, there is no other way. I would like to close this broadcast today by telling you, no matter how you may feel like you are struggling in your relationship and struggling in your walk with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that it is vitally important that you do not give up on your faith, that you hold fast to your confidence in Christ. The Bible said if we sin, then we should confess our sin because He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John, 1 John 2 and 1, Little children, I would that you sin not. That is the will of God as well. And if you sin... 
you need to remember we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. This relationship with Jesus Christ is one of holding fast to Him. Cling to Him. Love Him. Live for Him. Serve Him. But do not lose your confidence in Him. Trust in Him above all things as your Savior. All right, my friends, I love you today. I pray that this broadcast has been a blessing to you. If it has, why don't you go to josephherdministries.com, see the video that is there. It won't be long until I'll be able to upload this content as well to that website. And I want to thank all of our supporters today for all that you do in sharing with Joseph Heard Ministries. Because of you, you make this very broadcast possible I appreciate you so very much. God bless you all. May the Lord be with you this week.